Well, good morning, Seabreeze. It's good to see everyone. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online this morning. Uh, as Elliot said, the name of this series is called Surrender. And so we decided as a church that our first move together as we begin to regather is to surrender our lives and our future to the God who owns them both. Whenever you're stuck in life and you don't know what to do next, surrender to God is always your first best move. So in the middle of all that is unprecedented in this year, we are surrendering ourselves to the God who never changes. And we're using four different surrender postures that will help us, I hope, both understand what it is we need to surrender to God and remind us to go ahead and do that and surrender to God. So these are the four positions postures of surrender. First, we talked about bowing our heads. Secondly, close your eyes. Third, open your hands. And then today, get on your knees. Now, each posture has a W word that represents what it is exactly that we're surrendering. So let me just quickly review. The W word for the bowing posture is will. Will. Bowing our head is the posture of submitting our will to the will of another, in this case, God. The W word for closing your eyes is the word wait. Wait. When you close your eyes, you have to stop moving and you have to wait because you can't see what's in front of you. So closing our eyes before God reminds us that only God himself can see the future. So we surrender the future to God. We surrender our future plans to his master plan. The W word that Elliot talked about last week for opening your hands is want. Want. We close our hands to hold on to something that we want, and we open our hands to let go of that. So when we open our hands before God, what we're really saying is we're surrendering all the things that we really want and are holding on to tightly, the things that really He has placed in our hands, and we're offering those things back to Him to give whatever He wants us to give. Today, we turn our attention to the fourth and final surrender posture. And that is to get on our knees. Now, people this year especially are kneeling for many different reasons. So it's important for us to understand what it means when a Christian kneels before God. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul goes into some pretty good detail about why it is that we Christians kneel. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3.14. He starts out by saying simply this, For this reason I kneel before the Father. He's going to explain the reason why he, and therefore all of us who follow Jesus, why we kneel before God. And so in the verses that surround this statement, we notice that Paul got on his knees for one reason, he stayed on his knees for a second reason, and then he got up from his knees for a third reason. So we're going to look at these three this morning. The first one, we kneel to get God's perspective on our life. We kneel, in a sense, to see the view of earth from the perspective of heaven. That's why we kneel. So when Paul says, for this reason I kneel, he's obviously referring to something that he's just said. When someone says, so that's why, well, you have to look at what they just said to understand why the reason behind what they're doing. Here's what Paul says in the verse before he says, for this reason I kneel. Verse 13 of Ephesians 3 says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. What sufferings is he referring to? Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, 
from a prison in Rome. So let me describe the setting. These prisons in Rome were, well, they were holes in the ground carved out of rock. The only way in and out of this prison was not a door that swung open. It was a hole that you were lowered down in, and then if you ever got out, you were raised up out of that hole. It was cold. It was dark. Only a candle occasionally to light it, and light coming in from that hole in the top would illuminate that cell. Food would be lowered in through a bucket, and waste would be raised also through a bucket. Paul's body at this point is scarred from all the times that he's been beaten and whipped as he spoke about Jesus Christ over the years. His joints obviously have got to be tremendously sore and in pain, but he gets down on his knees and he prays. And what he prays, as you read through the rest of his prayer, is in essence he prays that his fellow Christians would see just how much it is that God really loves them, and that would change them. Now, that's surprising, because if I was in that hole, I'd wonder if God loved me at all. I mean, it would be understandable if Paul would think, well, God, if you love me, why am I here? Why would you let me in this prison? But that's not how Paul sees his situation at all. Paul is kneeling in that dark prison because of something that he sees that's going on in heaven right then. He has just described it a couple of verses before he says, for this reason I kneel. Here's what he says in verse 10. His intent, speaking of God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about? Paul is describing a scene that's going on in heaven right now. And the scene is this, the great powers of heaven are all gathered. Where are they gathered? It doesn't say specifically, but in almost every other scene in the Bible, whenever there's a gathering in heaven, it's always a throne room gathering. It's always gathering around the throne of God. Now, why is this gathering going on? Well, as Paul describes it, it's to marvel at the manifold wisdom of God, specifically his eternal plan that's now all coming together and is right now on display through the church. So, in the throne room, Paul describes these creatures, and as we read about the creatures of heaven, it's pretty clear that these are creatures that if we were to see them, we would be tempted to bow before them. These are, as Paul says, these are the invisible rulers and authorities in heaven. And they're all pointing in amazement at what God is doing through seemingly insignificant churches like the little one in Ephesus that this letter was written to, and this particular church, as with other churches. Now, that's surprising. I mean, really? Out of everything that's going on in the world, this is what's going on? This is what's getting the attention in the throne room of heaven? Now, this fact is so amazing to Paul that in the worst circumstance imaginable, he gets on his knees and he thanks God for loving him so much to let him be on the scene when the early churches are first born. Now, granted, none of this looked that amazing from ground level. If you were walking around Rome that day, the church would not have gathered your attention. You probably would have a hard time finding one. They were just starting. But Paul says, that's why I'm kneeling in this dark prison. I don't want to miss out on what's really important right now just because I'm suffering. Paul is saying, I want a throne room perspective on my life. 
And he invites us as followers of Christ to join him on our knees for that same perspective, a throne room perspective, the throne room of heaven perspective on our lives. I mean, if we were in heaven, it would be impossible to miss the fact that God is the one who's on the throne and at the center of everything else. It wouldn't make any sense to walk into the throne room of God with our our long list of complaints. We would, all of a sudden, our attention would gravitate towards God and all the amazing things that he's doing. That's the perspective of heaven. The problem is, though, we're on earth. We're not in heaven. And here on earth, you really don't see it that way. On earth, there's all kinds of throne rooms. There's lots of thrones vying for power. There are obviously political thrones and economic thrones and military thrones and academic thrones. And in all the struggles for all the power in this world, it's really easy to miss the throne of all thrones, and that is God on his throne. All we can see right now in this season is the scramble, for example, for power between the Democrats and the Republicans. And then we go to work, and there's always a power struggle at work. You know, as a, as a business or a company, there's, there's a struggle to compete for larger market share. There's a struggle maybe right now to survive. There's a struggle within the company to advance. And then we go home, and if we're married or we have roommates, we go home to a spouse or a roommate who, like us, is scrambling to make our life work out the way we want it to. And if we have kids in that home, well, we are raising kids who, like us, are trying to build and establish and run their own kingdoms. And there's just a struggle that goes on with that. And then we wake up the next morning and we jump back into the power struggles of this world all over again. And that's why, along with Paul, many of us have decided to start our days by kneeling before the Father in order to center our lives around the throne that will capture every eye one day, just not probably today unless we kneel. But as we kneel, we discover we're not the only ones kneeling before the throne. As Paul says, we are kneeling before the Father from whom his whole family some of whom are in heaven now and some who are still on earth, derives its name. It turns out we're a part of a family of kneelers. When we kneel, we take our place in the long line of kneelers, followers of Jesus Christ who have knelt before the Father who have who've gone before us and who are long gone and who are now kneeling before the throne in heaven. And we're not the only ones kneeling today around the, the planet right now in every time zone. There are followers of Jesus Christ who in their hearts or physically are kneeling before the Father. I think the best glimpse of this family of kneelers is when we gather every Sunday. You know, we're we're not just here looking for what will help us with our individual needs. That's why people go to grocery stores. You know, get a list of needs, go to a grocery store, you get what you need. That's not why we go to church. Now, granted, we do get some needs met here, and that's fine. But that's not the primary reason we gather. Because if you just needed information, you wouldn't need to show up here to get it. The internet, there's all kinds of information. But we gather, first of all, to gaze on the throne of God. That throne that centers all of reality. And it helps us put our individual lives in our individual struggles, in our individual fears, in proper orbit around the throne of God. And then as we look side to side, In a gathering like this, we see a little glimpse of what heaven sees, a family of kneelers, our individual lives, finding their orientation and their purpose by being a part of God's people. So we kneel 
because we need perspective. We wake up every morning and we, don't, we forget about the throne room. We forget about what's really important. We forget about what's, who's really in charge. And that's why we kneel. And then the second reason we kneel, according to Paul, is we kneel to ask God for help. This is what keeps us on our knees. This is why we sometimes linger on our knees because we need a lot of help. Paul goes on to say the next few verses in this prayer, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I mean, I pray this almost every morning. God, I need help on the inside. I need power from you in my inner being. So why is Paul praying for power? Why do we pray for power? Well, it's because we need power. Turns out we leak power on the inside on a daily basis, on an hour-by-hour basis. On our own, over time, we get weaker, not stronger. We get worse, not better. Turns out that our inner being is more like a rechargeable battery than a power plant. And kneeling is the charging position. It's how we connect the charger to our inner being. Kneeling reminds us where the source of power really is. It's not on the inside of us. It's in God. And we need that help. We need that power. But that's not the current idea in our culture. Many now think that the human spirit, the inner being, is the greatest power of all. And it just needs to be unleashed for its full power to be realized. I mean, you hear this idea in many forms all the time now. In fact, I heard it this past week watching the Lakers play game one in the NBA Finals. Before the game, three movie stars spoke passionate words set to music. Because they were movie stars, it was really well done. They had budget. They had music. It was moving. And in that three-minute piece, they summarized the modern view of the human soul, which basically says the power is within you. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. Here's what they said. They started out by saying something we all agree to. They say, this is not how it was supposed to be. Truer words have never been spoken. I think everybody agrees with that. This this world is not how it's supposed to be. We all agree. The question is, what should be done about it? Here's what the movie stars recommended in that piece. Here's what they said. Can we hold true to our core? Can we fight through the outside noise to hear the inner music? By the way, some of these words are from the new Pixar movie that's going to be coming out sometime called Soul. And it sounds like it's going to be a modern description of this whole idea. Can we hear the inner music? Here's what they went and said. It's the pursuit of our inner purpose that feeds the soul. Don't call it history, they said. Call it now. Why would you not be interested in history? Well, one of the pesky things about history is if you study history, it just has a way of giving you the strong and clear impression that you are yet a small part of something much bigger than you. But if you are all there is and you are the essence of power, then you're not interested in history. You don't want anything that reminds you that you're smaller. You want something to tell you that you're more powerful and bigger than you ever thought. So don't call it history. Call it now. Literally, call it me. They went on to say, it's time to dig deeper. Find the zone. Where's the zone? Here it is. We must locate the greatness that resides deep within our soul. I'd look deep inside of me 
It's dark. It's not great. There are some good things, but there's a lot of darkness, a lot of shadows. And then the end with this. Embrace the things that make you, you. And this all came with a swell of music, and it was so well done. I mean, I almost came off the couch just clapping before I realized, wait, none of this is true. <laughs> That's the power when you, we have really talented people saying words that not anybody really understands or thinks about set to amazing music with some amazing camera angles. I mean, you're applauding to stuff that just isn't true. What they were saying is it's you on the throne, not God on the throne. In contrast, the Bible teaches us that our sin has broken our interconnection to God. That's what's wrong with the world. That's why it's not as it's supposed to be. And as a result of that break, we have continually grown weaker and weaker and darker and darker on our own. History is evidence of this fact, which is why if you believe this, you don't want to talk about history. Because an honest read of the record of history is greatness does not lie within the human soul. The Bible points us to the power of God. Our culture points us to the power of me. So on his knees, Paul goes on in verse 17 through 19 of Ephesians 3. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What this is saying is when we kneel before God, when we admit our sin to Him, and we decide to follow Jesus Christ, we become rooted like a tree and established in God's love for us. And the power of God begins to flow into our life, and it begins to change us. Now, it says that we may have power together with all the saints. So like the first reason we kneel, this reason also requires us to kneel with other Christians. It's as we join with other Christians in doing the work that God has for us over time that we grasp how much God really loves us. It's oftentimes as I've been in conversations with other Christians that I'm working together with that God really speaks of his love to me. The result of all this is that we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Another way of saying it is this is how you get 100% charge on that battery on the inside. Yeah, there is some power there, but it's a waning power. You need charge. You need 100% charge. So we kneel because we know that we're weak, and we need the love and power of God to fill us to all the fullness of God. And we don't just kneel once for the same reason. We don't just recharge the batteries on our phone once. The drain on the inside just is ongoing. It's relentless. So we kneel at the foot of the cross. We accept God's love for us in Christ. And then we kneel together with others like us as we connect with a local church. That brings us to the final reason we kneel. We kneel so that we can get off our knees and serve God. We rise to serve God. You never stay kneeling. Depending on how bad your knees are, you may not get out on your knees right now. But even if you've got healthy knees, eventually you've got to get back up and do something. Kneeling is the posture of a servant. Subjects would kneel before their king and their queen as a statement that they were ready to do whatever was commanded. And we kneel before God for the same reason. We are taking the posture of a servant and we are saying that we will get up off our knees and we will do whatever it is God wants us to do. We will serve. So the W word for this posture 
is what? As in, what do you want me to do now, God? That's why we kneel. When we get up from our knees, having seen our world from the perspective of heaven, and having received the charging, the recharging power of God in our inner being, the impact over time is pretty amazing. Here's how Paul describes it, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we kneel and then we rise to serve God, God over time does something beyond what we can imagine through our efforts. You know, it's the movie stars that depict the other version of life because their lives appear to have worked out. But for the common person, they don't get a chance to see what a movie star sees. And we're just ordinary people. But as we band together and are recharged by the power of God and rise to serve Him, some pretty amazing things happen. Not just a, a little bit more than we can imagine, but as it says, immeasurably more. I mean, you see this sometimes in an individual life, but it really comes into focus when you look at a church like even this one. I mean, we're not a famous church. We're not on the radar of famous things. But many times, if you've been a part of this church over the years, you along with me, we've just stood there shaking our heads in amazement at what God has done through us. But it all starts with kneelers who rise up to serve. I think one of my very favorite parts of regathering, as we've been able to do, this is now our fourth Sunday, is getting the chance to see people serve again. You just can't see that online. I mean, that first Sunday I saw someone emptying trash and it almost brought me to tears. Someone carrying a speaker. Someone stacking chairs at the end of all this or at the beginning of this. Someone helping greet. Now, why do so many people do this? And why have so many done this over the years? It's simply because they've gotten on their knees and they've said, God, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And then they've done that. If God's power is at work within us, we have every reason to get up off our knees with hopeful anticipation. Not because we're all just pumped up and just full of ourselves, believing that we can do anything that we put our mind to. No, but because we have God's perspective on what's really going on, what's really important, and we're now filled with a measure of all the fullness of God. So I encourage you to use these postures of surrender this fall. In fact, I want to wrap this up by practicing this together. We're going to do each posture but kneeling. We're not going to ask anyone to kneel on the concrete. Some of you may be willing to do it, but we're just going to ask everyone to stay in your seats and we'll kneel in our hearts. But I would encourage you, if you can, even at home, get on your knees if you're able to do that. So I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on up on stage as we go through this in prayer. But as you're seated, go ahead and join me in prayer as we surrender our lives to God. So let's begin. First, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we say the words that Jesus said. When Jesus said, not my will but yours be done, we say those same words. When our desires are thwarted this week, help us bow in surrender rather than look out in anger. And if we're signing your name to the bottom of our plans... Our big ideas, show us, and we will stop. We surrender to you. Now, close your eyes if they're not closed already. Father, we sit still here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
And our eyes are closed as an indication we don't know what the future holds. We don't even know for sure what's going to happen this afternoon. We, of course, have stuff on our calendars for this coming week, but we don't know what's going to happen. We want to be in sync with your calendar. Help us not to force our calendar and our plans at the expense of yours and the expense of others. Open our eyes to the opportunities that you embed in this week to love others and to share your truth. And Father, whenever you say wait, help us to wait patiently. Now, open your hands, palms up. I want everyone to do this. Open your hands, palms up. Father, our hands are open before you, palms up, to remind us we can't hold on to a single thing. All that we have belongs to you. You give and you take as you see fit. And rather than white-knuckling our way through life, we open our hands and are ready to give whatever you want us to give back to you and accept whatever you decide to take. You know best what we really need. So we open up our hands before you. Now let's kneel in our hearts. Now, Father, have we surrendered our will to yours, having surrendered our timetable, our view of the future to you, and having surrendered all that we have and all that we want to you, we bow now before you as Lord, and we await your command. We ask that you would speak clearly to us through your word this week. Father, we will do whatever you direct us to do. We have the great privilege of being your servants. And we pray that you would do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. Not our power, but your power that's at work within us. To you be glory. Through Jesus Christ and in the church for now and for all of eternity. Amen.